everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Houseman, and welcome to 10 Foot Pole, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Well, welcome to Season 2, Episode 8. Um, I actually originally thought this was episode nine because I took a week off, but didn't adjust my spreadsheet. And then I was like, wait a minute, these numbers aren't adding up. No one needed to know that information, but I'm sharing it anyways. <laughs> um, our guest for today is, uh, Pastor Tamika Young-Savage, um, from First Lutheran Church in Ellicott City, Maryland. Yeah. Over here in, in Maryland, the weather's yeah. kind of dope right now. So yeah. What's it like? It's apparently supposed to be like 60 something degrees. Wow. Happy winter. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's dreary, but I kind of like this kind of weather. So I, you know, I think that's uh, same actually. So when I was in London this summer, it was just like 65 and overcast the whole time. And um, people that we were there with were just like bitching and complaining about oh, every time I come here, the weather's terrible, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is amazing. Actually, it is. If yeah. I get walked on the street in jeans and a flannel in July, this is where I want to live. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. So yeah, exactly. not complaining. Yeah. <laughs> and then I moved to the South and you're like, Ugh. I don't know. I kind of like this up to you, but we'll, we'll <laughs> I just mean weather wise. It's fair enough. It's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, well, thanks for uh, joining us this week. Uh, I want to make an announcement at the beginning because I usually make announcements at the end and then I think people shut it off and maybe they don't hear them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to let everybody know kind of what's going on with the website that there is a swag available so you can get, you know, cool shirts. There's just some like t-shirts and stuff that have podcast um logos on them um these are just for fun mostly for you to kind of help promote um the podcast and in a very very small way it does financially support the podcast so um please uh go check those out and if there's something you were hoping to find there and didn't uh let me know because i mean we could we could make more things possibility it is indeed random um eclectic assortments of items there so um, check those out and coming really soon will be our resource page. So look for that in the near future. All right. So today, Pastor Tamika and I are going to talk about the gospel lesson, uh, Matthew 4, chapters 12 to 23. Um, if you're planning on going to church in a church that follows the revised common lectionary, you're going to hear this on Sunday January 22nd. Um, and I believe if you plan on attending um, First Lutheran Church in Ellicott City, Maryland, you're going to hear Pastor Tamika um, talk about this gospel message from the pulpit. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So this is very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> well, you see, I like to plan it that way. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I, I have gotten questions like, AJ, you're kind of like critical of the Revised Common Lectionary. Why do you keep following it? Um, and it's for two very basic reasons. Uh, one, because it just kind of helps me kind of streamline what to do, right? Like I'm not picking, picking and choosing parts of the Bible out of thin air. Um, and two, it usually does help most of my guests, um, which makes them, I think, more willing to talk and have a conversation because it is also useful in their professional lives. And not just because I randomly uh, emailed or texted them and was like, hey, do you want to do this thing? Yeah, it's very helpful. So thanks. Yep. Preparing ahead of time. (laughs) So um, we're going to read, I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version Updated Edition, uh, which is the new one that they updated it in 2021. Um, It's got some good updates to it. There's not a whole lot that's different. Um, There's just some like subtle things like there's a lot of places where they have removed um, like the specifically male genderized language for God, which I greatly uh, appreciate as, you know, we've talked about on the podcast before that like um, God doesn't have, um, God is either no gender or all genders. Uh, we don't really know, but definitely not specifically male. Um, so there's that, there's some other updated language anyway. So um, I've been kind of transitioning to try to use that uh, mostly. Um, Sundays and Seasons still just has the new Revised Standard Version, and I expect, like anything else in church movement, it could take 
10 to 15 years for that to adjust. So we'll use it anyways. Um, and I'm also going to read through verse 25, which is just to the end of the chapter. Those last two verses just get left off a little bit, but I'm going to include them because I think that they're important in the topic. So here we go. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, people possessed by demons or having epilepsy or afflicted with paralysis, and he cured them. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Well, so we're we're back in Matthew. We, we veered away for a, a couple of weeks since Christmas. Um... So what's happened um, so far, uh, we talked about the genealogy with Pastor Sarah. So that's the very beginning of Matthew. Um, then after that, after we have Jesus's birth as a footnote, um, we hear the, the Magi um, come to visit. Um, they stop to see Herod. Herod, uh, Herod asked the Magi to like find this new king of the Jews, right? And to turn him over to Herod. Um, and they don't do that. Instead, they warn the family that this is about to happen. And so um, this new family and baby Jesus head to Egypt, uh, where they uh, live as refugees for a time. Then they come back and settle in Nazareth. And then Jesus goes and gets baptized by Johnny B. Mm -hmm. And then he is tempted in the wilderness. And now we're here. This is what happens um, right after that. Just, just to catch up, so we know where we're at. Sure. So, what do you think? This is, uh, this is kind of uh, in. It's like two parts of a story rolled into one here. Like, I think you have this sort of beginning part where we're talking about, um, you know, Jesus starting his ministry, right? Right. And then, um, and where he decides to start ministry, and then we have this part uh, where he calls his first disciples. Right. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, you know, I my favorite gospel is is Luke <laughs> and and Mark. They're kind of on the same level. And Matthew has always been kind of a little harder for me. Okay. Um, but I'm starting to really appreciate uh, this gospel this time around um, because of the placement of of Jesus, because the way. Um, the author takes us from place to place mm -hmm. right so each place kind of has a purpose in his ministry and so for him to go from as a you know a newborn child um to like his parents or his his parents hometown mm -hmm. and then have to leave there because it wasn't safe to go to um the place where his ancestors were enslaved yeah. And then to leave there to go to back home, um, where he his family is um, his like his family traveled from, and then go to another place where he's finding um, probably more people like him, or um, not necessarily in the the higher status of um, 
of people. So he's like, it takes you through this journey of where Jesus is going and coming from. And um, it connects him so closely with his ancestors. And I think that is pretty big. Well, you said something in there that really uh, kind of sparked my attention of thinking about, um, you know, the the family fleeing to Egypt um, and this being the place where his ancestors were enslaved. Yeah. And now it's a place they're finding safety. Right. So what is, I mean, that's a very stark contrast there, um, you know, to think about. Yeah. Well, it, so I think it's just where I'm at right now in my own personal life journey. There's something to say about going to the places where your ancestors have been mm-hmm. and and lived and, and experiencing those places for yourself um, and that being a huge part of your um, of your growth, of who you are, of becoming who you are. And so I really appreciate Matthew's attention to that, to like take us through Jesus's um, becoming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and also like all the way, you know, through the genealogy and the importance of of including that, especially yeah. in the way, you know, that the the author of Matthew does include it. Right. Um, is it is it's building it's building this person, right? It's building this character. Right. Um, and maybe not one that like we always really see on the surface. Right. Um, so let's let's talk about um, you know, sort yeah. of this historical Jesus figure, this man of, of who he would have been coming. Yeah. Um, born um uh, to a Jewish family in a right. Roman occupied area, and we already know that that's been a, a problem since he was born, right? And so he's he's been displaced uh into Egypt, and then still continuing to be displaced throughout his life, right? Um, as he moves through the areas, um, and and where he he ends up, right? So like where he starts his ministry, um in and of itself is kind of on the margins. It's in these rural fishing towns. It's not in the center of major metropolitan areas. Like that's not who he's trying. He's not trying to connect with rich and powerful people. Um, I mean, I, that says a lot about his character right there. Cause he never, he never really does. No, but I don't think that would have been even authentic to who he, who he was like, um, I mean, if you think back on why Matthew places him in all these spaces, right? Like he wasn't born <laughs> of like higher status. Yeah. So it wouldn't have made sense for him to go to those places. Um, no, he went to the people that that he belonged to. Um, and yes, they were of lower status. They were in the margins and um, but I think what makes him appealing is because he knows he knows them and he knows the story of what it means to be in the margins. He's not mm. he's not going to the margins as a person who is um, of higher status and and going to the lowly people to teach them something. Yeah. He's going to his people with an understanding of who they are because yeah. it's also a part of who he is, right? Yeah, and so yeah. that also, I think, gives uh, a particular lens if we think about sort of missionary work that, like, I think has really been twisted um, in how the church has done missionary work throughout its history, Christian yeah. history at least, um, where, you know, typically historically what's happened is sort of we go into a place and we have all the things that we bring to them and blah, blah, and fix them and make them Christian and save them. Right. Um, and you know, you don't see that model in Jesus. Um, he's not doing that. He is, he's going to places, uh, where, you know, you said it, that he knows them. Those are his people, uh, right. where he listens to them and talks with them. Uh, and is, you know, the, the work that he does is through the relationships that have been built there. Right. And he honors who they are. Mm-hmm. Like he speaks their language. Um, so he doesn't say, come with me and <laughs> we'll go hang out at the temple. He says, yeah. come with me and I will make you fisher of people. He meets them exactly where they are. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I think that that might've been the, the driving force of them leaving and going with him immediately is that he spoke to them in a language they could understand. 
Yeah, you're naming something right there of this sort of interesting, you know, why why did these why did they just get up and leave with him? Is that like what how weird is that? Um super weird. Yeah, like, <laughs> Very weird. Yeah. I think about it in a couple of ways. Like one, we'll talk about like the who who he chose to call, right? Like right. um the fact that he it's he's just walking along in Galilee and he sees these two guys fishing and he's like, hey. You want to be my disciples? Yeah, want to come like, out? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> right. and then they do. Right. And then the next two people he randomly finds, hey, you want to be my disciples? Um, and immediately, you know, we have that language immediately, which is very much more of a, a Mark uh, kind of language. So for yeah. Matthew to throw that in there um, weighs some importance that they immediately got up and followed him. Yeah. And I just like, it, it, it makes me question, like, are these, so these, these, these guys that become, you know, very important in this Christian movement and like the forefathers of like a whole new church, um, you know, they're not, they're not like specifically chosen. They're just, you know, at at least that's not how it reads, right? Like they, he, these are just the first random people that he found. Yeah. And he takes them and anoints them and makes them apostles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. So it makes me think, though, um, how we may have misunderstood Jesus's relationships with the disciples. Mm, Tell me more. Um, Well, I wonder if they I mean, they are random, but I wonder I wonder if there was something more that they there's something connected them to each other. I'm still I'm still not sure, but it just feels like it feels like they may have known him or there was something peculiar or something about him that they connected with. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, they are random. They are just normal people Mm -hmm. fishing. Right. They're they're out doing their work. They're not. you know, lounging, they're doing their work, they're doing something. And he comes along and for them to stop working and mm-hmm. go with him, it it feels like there's something about their relationship or something that like they maybe have seen him before, or maybe not, maybe he just, fam- he seems familiar. You ever like meet someone and you're like, you just seem familiar to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? There are people you just have like an automatic connection with. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's it is random. It is I, I'm not trying to make it seem like uh like there had to be something extra extraordinary about it. But maybe I there do, was. I mean, so that's the thing, is it's so vague. Don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. Right. But um, I'm thinking I just think of like the implications of what it would have meant for them to just get up and leave right there. Like, are they, you know, are are they caretakers of any family? I like, are there, are there people that are dependent on them being fishermen in their household right. that exactly. are now like going to do what for money since they randomly got up and left? I know. Um, I mean, I, Zebedee, you hear it, right? So he why, why wasn't he invited? <laughs> first of all, I don't I'm going to take your sons. You're too old to be my disciple yeah. though. What? Well, maybe he was like, sure, I guess you can go, guys. But, like, I still have to take care of your mother and your sister and your right. brother. And, like, yeah. so. Someone Don't mind me. Keep... I'll stay out here in the boat. Yeah, like... I'll keep working. <laughs> um, yeah. It's so random. It's, yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I like to compare. Like, sometimes I, I try to envision what a scenario like this would be in the modern day. Mm-hmm. And I think in modern day times, if you were randomly just to quit your job and start following a religion guy around the country um we have different words for that and um your family would not be happy at all they'd be like wow sorry joe went and joined a cult that's what that would sound like so um it's (laughs) it is really interesting and like what do you think you know what more did he say or was it really just come and follow me and they were like okay yeah i mean it's really i i think that's that's the beauty of um of scripture of these stories is that there's the, there are parts that are left out for us to imagine and perhaps that's because then we get to understand our part in it as well right so like why why do we follow jesus yeah why are we why do we say we believe in this 
person and this God and this, you know, like, why are we, why are we doing that? And so I wonder if part of the story is also to connect those who hear it and they're trying to understand why they would just senselessly follow Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know? <laughs> true. I I also just wonder if like maybe the author just didn't think that through that like that wasn't it. They like didn't assume anybody would question <laughs> it. They'd be like, I'm trying to tell you that this is the son of God and these, sure. these guys just stopped and they went. And they went. Um, and we're not supposed to question that. We're just supposed to understand that that's what we're supposed to do. Um, that's what I wonder sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's also, I mean, that's also possible. I'm not, I, I'm not sure we're not supposed to question it, but maybe that's where I land. That's why I land with that. Well, part no. of the, yeah. <laughs> I'm with Sorry. you. Uh, no, no, no. I'm with you. I think, yes, that we should continue to wrestle with scripture and question some of these things. I think yeah. that is how we grow in, in our own faith and, and, um, understanding, I, I think um, sects of Christianity that are really against asking questions and accepting everything at face value, I, I think there's a lot more problem in that. Um, and, and just because the world is more nuanced than that, right? Like, right. if you take everything at face value, nothing's going to add up. No, that's very true. And also, I mean, it's just a part of the human experience to process things, to question, to think. Yeah. through why certain things are happening you know and that's um, i think that's an evolved faith right that mm -hmm. the fact that like as you have your life experiences and need to process them um in you know in relation to the story of god's people um you have to ask questions or yeah, else for sure it's, it's never gonna you know you're always gonna be unsatisfied or disappointed yeah yeah, I mean, but I think this is that's part of the the mystery, the part that we don't get to have, we don't have to answer. <laughs> what we can wonder, right? Like, what was it about Jesus in that moment that they would leave everything behind in in that sense, right? To leave their livelihood because they were working, they weren't just like lounging; they mm -hmm. were doing they were doing their jobs. Um, so, what does that look like, and why why is that, right? So it's it's a worthy it's a worthy thing to maybe ponder and even discuss. Yeah. And consider for ourselves. Because like I mean, it's clearly it's not just an impulsive decision. Right. Like there's something else going on that is causing them internally to make this very conscious choice with their life. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a big deal. Again, you know, we're talking about leaving friends, family behind all of those things. Yeah. Which, and so here's another reason that I included the extra verses of 24 and 25 is because we also like to focus on the disciples as these 12 men that mm -hmm. chose to follow Jesus, but to recognize here that there was a whole horde of people that started following him around the country. It oh, yeah. wasn't just 12 guys. Right. Um, and so that is uh, just, you know, just to sort of remember that because um, people are like, oh, it's these 12 men. Well, <laughs> Sure and all of these other people right because they got to experience um his presence and experience him mm -hmm. and so they followed yeah and but that does it does also say something about the difference between the at least the the two the four that are mentioned mm -hmm. and that part how they there doesn't seem to be this like healing this miraculous thing that happens before they start to follow yeah. him right um yeah, that's a good point and the crowd comes after they've yeah. experienced something um i do want to offer um one of my favorite kind of commentaries and commentators i guess <laughs> is the reverend debbie thomas um yes. i'm not sure she writes as um, much for the journey with Jesus um, uh, uh, resources, but her article, her commentary on this from three years ago is still quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. And she offers that like part of um, 
why they may have gone immediately is because Jesus, like, he says, hold on, I said, I'm sorry, give me a second. He says, I will make you, and she kind of plays on that part of, of what Jesus does in the process of like offering them something um, that, that is uh, like forming them. And she said, this one part, it says like, this is what she says. I will make you, he tells the fisherman, I will take cultivate, deepen, magnify, purify, protect and perfect the people God created you to be. And like, there's something about that, that like is really connecting with me on why they may have immediately left where like, there's this longing for, for us as human beings to want to belong and um, to be cultivated and to be cared for. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if those words resonated in a way for them that is the reason why they they went so quickly yeah um, yeah like giving a purpose yeah yeah and not just a purpose but like like meeting them like i said earlier meeting them where they are mm. a very authentic way of connecting with people and i think that a lot of us want that right like we want to be met we want to be seen we want to be formed and yeah to have that as a part of um, a calling to be a part of something is appealing, right? Which is why people tend to follow cults, (laughs) right? Because there's something about it that kind of like meets people where they need to be seen and who knows what was going through their lives at that moment, right? I mean, like a lot's going on, right? As they, uh, you know, they're, their land continues to be occupied by various different, you know, foreign nationals. Right. And so like, there's just so much going on. And I think they are, they're looking for someone to come and bring the salvation from their oppressors. Right. And this guy um, is in the most genuine and authentic way offering that. Right. Right. And I mean, (laughs) going back to your cult point though, that's the scary part about it but but I mean, it kind of was <laughs> i mean but you know it worked out it, i guess, guess. <laughs> yeah i mean and so it 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 makes it very like you know when you think about it but also i think it can speak to our our own personal needs and and desires in our relationship with God, right? Like, yeah. And maybe people need to hear that they're not alone and that struggle to be seen and, and a desire for God to see them and to mm. know and to be known, right? Um, so that's a, yeah, I just, it's what's coming up for me right now when I'm thinking about it, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he was a very successful, uh, cult leader uh and you know again though you know all of these the way that these that cults become popular and is that is that they're offering something that um is what people need to like their their very bones right and so that is what it is what it is here but i want to talk a little bit more about um sort of this uh quoting of isaiah again here so Mm -hmm. Um, the author of Matthew really likes to quote Isaiah because one of his big main points is that they want to make sure that like what they're really exemplifying for the audience of this gospel is that this is the one that Isaiah prophesies right. um, to build on that. Um, so specifically um, a Jewish audience who would have heard um, and be very, very familiar with Isaiah's prophecies to say, hey, all of this that Isaiah was saying was going to happen, look. This is the guy because it's happening all the way down to like where he, he lived and started to do ministry. Um, that that was a, a very, very important uh, point. 
Um, and remembering that at the time that like uh, Isaiah was written, uh, they were under Assyrian occupation. Um, and then, it, you know, it changed hands and now it's under Roman occupation. But just that, that these people, um, those that, you know, lived in these these small fishing communities were just over and over again, you know, just being colonized mm-hmm. by others. And so what does it mean that a local guy uh, is coming with this kind of message? Yeah. And how, and how important that that would be um, from what they heard and, and why it is that like you can see then their, you know, their scriptures of Isaiah being fulfilled through this guy and why that was such an important message. Hmm. I wonder um, I wonder what it it would have been like if he would have tried to go to some different places first. You know, like we see in um, the other gospels, you know, we hear when he was like 12 and they, they had to go back to Jerusalem that they do that a lot, right? That they make that yeah. journey. Yeah. Um, what if he had tried to start more in that area? Do you think he would have gotten the same momentum? Probably not in the same way, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I'm also remembering, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, (laughs) that at this time, there were multiple people who proclaimed to be, you know, the Messiah. Um, And people would follow. Yeah, lots Mm -hmm. of cult leaders going on. Right. <laughs> uh, some of which, um, like, so rallied around John, right? Right. It's like John had his own set of disciples that they right. thought, you know, that. Right. Like, who is this guy, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I think, well, like you said, I think Matthew is trying to make a point about um, Jesus fulfilling something from the prophet well, Isaiah. So I also wonder if it comes down to like, because of John. So the fact that this story really pivots mm-hmm. that Jesus's ministry gets jump started by the fact that John, was when he's arrested. arrested. Yeah. And so I actually wonder if it's just a really smart move, right? If you think about again, what's going on um, in their political landscape Yes. and the yes. fact that John just got arrested, you know, is he actually really out here sort of um, on the margins of society and in, intentionally starting there for his own safety yes yes thank you for pointing that out yes i forgot that part yes <laughs> i truly believe that that is a part of it 100 percent. that he um he's like oh all right well uh i should go yeah. <laughs> i should not be over here um <laughs> i see what you're doing there I see, I see what's I'm, gonna happening go. here. I'm gonna bounce before i'm gonna go over uh, here <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's a telltale sign for people in general, right? Like, I I think it's important for us to remember that he was a human being, right? And so, yes, of course, I think that was probably wise to to move away from um, the danger. Um, And also, you know, him going to Galilee, it definitely takes him back, right? Because his dad is from Nazareth mm-hmm. of Galilee, right? So he's also going to a familiar place. Um, yes. And so he's going to a place he's familiar with that he can escape from kind of like the limelight for a minute, you know, <laughs> and and find his people um, in a more um, kind of underground way. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and you know, that might feed into what you said about like when he came up to the disciples is, is he a total stranger or not? And you're, uh, he might not have been right. If he's right. Really, like used to be in this area, they may have crossed paths for sure as um, you know, as fishermen who were probably contracted um, with the Romans as well to provide, provide um, fish Right. Uh, for the cities. And additionally, you know, Jesus working also as a carpenter would have been contracted into various Roman um, homes and organizations. Um, so like there's a, you know, sort of you got your blue collar workers. Um, there's right. probably some. There's some connection there. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I do. I do think that he is they definitely hung getting out away. At the same bar when their shifts were over. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, 
there's a lot of points at which they may have met before, but yeah, I mean, he definitely is trying to, you know, remove himself from from the dangerous area in the in that moment. Um, well, it also then, so so that thing about danger, I'm right? Saying, so, like, as mm-hmm. we already know, so far in his life, he has had to run from danger, mm-hmm. um, right? So, uh, you know, we hear that you know he had to flee uh, for right. as a baby. That now, okay, John's arrested. We're off here, kind of in the rural spaces, continuing to kind of stay out of the way of the danger that is coming, right? You know, that that build up that we we spoiler alert we know how the story ends right that that ultimately you know what happens um and understanding that while there may be some atonement fulfillment in your personal um jesus atonement theory um there is also this aspect of um you know the political environment danger that jesus steps into that does aid in the this um his murder yeah i mean he's born into it i mean yeah <laughs> Every part of his his up uh, his life is is has that danger involved in it in in Matthew's story, right? Like you said, so mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense that he would he'd be like, yeah, let's go over here first, yeah. um, yeah, and then also a familiar pl- place, right? So he didn't just go to like a random place; he went to a familiar place. Do you know what I think also as like, um, you know, at least this is how it functions in the Lutheran church when you're yeah. typically your first call, they don't send you to like a nice church in the middle of, you know, a cool <laughs> suburban area, like some people. Um, <laughs> but you get uh-huh. put in these dinky little churches, um, you know, in maybe rural spaces or, um, you know, I served in, you know, very small churches, even in urban spaces. Um, but that you're, you know, you serve in these, uh, I don't know, something like Jesus is first called pastor. This is where, this where is he where goes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I think it's a little unfair to do that, <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay. So yes. And like I said, he was familiar. Like, I don't think that he was, he went to a place where he did not have the ability to be there mm-hmm. and so i i just want to i just want to say that i don't think that that <laughs> is necessarily in line <laughs> no i'm just trying out there no, i know i know you are I know, whatsoever. I, know. <laughs> I know i'm actually backing you up on that i think that that's ridiculous that that happens <laughs> um <laughs> but like jesus is going to a place that he knows right um and so for him to do ministry even if they don't really know him like if he's not like their friend right he's still familiar enough to know where to go mm-hmm. who he could probably even connect with to know what maybe the people themselves would be familiar with right mm-hmm. so it's not it's not necessarily about this him fleeing to this like this space that is so unfamiliar to him where he has to find his way, right? He goes to the place he's he knows. And so I think that's also important to remember when we're thinking about being sent out, being amongst people, um, is what is the familiarity about it for us and where are we connect, how do we connect with it? Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's a key piece into, um, in, and again, to being sent out to, to do sort of ministry um, is, having that familiarity piece i is what am i trying to say here i don't want to say more effective but i think more genuine yeah it's authentic yeah Mm -hmm. um because i also like see work that we do in places um you know that that don't feel that way because okay so for instance i once upon a time went on a youth i wasn't a youth i was an adult chaperone but Mm -hmm. helped help lead this youth mission trip uh with a certain organization that i'm not going to name but we went in so we're talking like busloads and busloads and busloads of mostly white high schoolers Mm -hmm. um from more affluent places because this was not a cheap trip to take right um and went to an area that was predominantly um uh you know poor um Mm -hmm. and we go in for one week and we fix things for them 
Mm-hmm. You know, we bring in lots of money, lots of tools, lots of things, and we physically fix things. And then at the end of the week, you invite them to this church service um, to, you know, hear about Jesus. Um, and everything about it, like, just made my stomach turn, you know, of like, this is not how Jesus went about doing ministry, nor is it the most, you know, effective way. Um, in contrast to um, when I was at, uh, I served uh, as a chaplain at the Johns Hopkins Center for Addiction and Pregnancy for a little time. And the main uh, counselor that was there um, was a woman who was a former addict herself. Um, and, you know, that she knows what each and every one of those steps of those people have, or those women are sitting in right now and where they're at and what parts of Baltimore that they came from, um, and knows them and knows their people and knows their places. And that woman was the single most effective tool that that center had. And they knew it, right? Like that was her gift because she had the experience because she knew where they were, what they were going through and how they got there. And that is so much more of a genuine way of approaching ministry. It truly is. And that makes me think also, maybe that's the reason why he chose Peter and Andrew and the other two, because they knew enough about the people mm-hmm. to whom he was going to be ministering to. Yeah. Like they were fishermen so they (laughs) they probably fed a lot of people they they probably had many connections with multiple people and local markets right around to different town to town exactly as fishermen they would have gone from town to town um, right and been very familiar with the area and the people exactly so he chose people who could more authentically connect with the people he wanted to love and care and be around and heal and bring on you know bring into the fold and so i think what you're saying is very important um for a lot of us christians to understand (laughs) and that's that's that the um number one ministry doesn't happen um in isolation um and two it is quite it's very important that um we we are being our authentic selves and that there are people who truly understand Mm -hmm. the context and the culture in which where you are right um and i think that is part of jesus's ministry and something we can we can definitely connect with right um yeah and I, i i'm finding it even here um at first lutheran one of the things that I think has shifted here and they're wanting to love and care for their neighbors is that they focus their attention in the county in which the church and <laughs> Howard County in which the church is actually a part of, right? Um, and they took the time to learn about their neighbors who are not all like them <laughs> and realize that there's a there's a diverse population here. There are um, a multitude of different um, economic um, and uh, social statuses here. And and so where our energy is put in terms of um, loving and caring, it goes to the organ with organizations that are actually caring for people mm-hmm. who need it in Howard County, right? right. And so it helps to broaden the perspective of of not just our church, but people in general as to like what is going on around them. Right. And I think that's so important. Well, <laughs> right? yeah. Well, I mean, that translate that that is what transforms a church um, from a social club into a missional community. You got it. You got it, right? And and that's the thing that I think is the biggest struggle. Um, you know, one of the biggest struggles that that especially um, you know, I can speak from a Lutheran perspective and mainline Protestant denominations that we are struggling with. Absolutely. Is how to make that transformation. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. And um, you know, what's <laughs> yeah. around your church uh is your mission field. Um I've heard some interesting um decent arguments that like church buildings in and of themselves is what prevents us from being a missional church 
Yeah. <laughs> Your face just said, like, <laughs> you have something to say about that. Well, oh, God. I just, no, I can't go there fully, but, like, it's, it's, um, yeah. <laughs> There's so much work. There's so much mm-hmm. emphasis yeah. on keeping our buildings upright. Listen, do I know it? Understand yeah. how much money that tiny old churches can take to maintain. Like, yeah. How imagine what we could do with that. Right. Um, or the time and energy that gets spent on doing that, that could be put somewhere else. And yeah. another thing I think in certain churches, and I've experienced this, not in every church that I've served at, some churches are, so I've, I've served some communities that are very, very good at this. Um, particularly my internship site in New Jersey was very good at this. Uh, but I've been a, a part of other communities that are wholeheartedly like so much, engrossed and like they only ever spend time in their church building in that community that they they they're not even aware of what's happening across the street you know um and what does that tell us about where our focus needs to shift yeah majorly especially in this time where we feel like the church has become less and less relevant so we should um i wonder if someone's could start like a, a a missional community where they are like mostly nomads like every week they hold like a worship service somewhere else right within their community yeah, around yeah, yeah, them yeah, yeah no exactly. yeah you'd have or, to have some really good word of mouth so everybody knew where you're meeting um right because i can see so <laughs> many arguments well nobody knows where you're at they're not going to be able to come to church well that's major more of a, <laughs> a hide and seek kind of church right like you have, yeah. to, you have to be paying attention i also want to honor though that i i get i get why people really want to hold very like a tight grip on their on their places right because it's such a sacred space and um and a very useful yeah, ministry it tool. is it is so very useful ministry yeah. tool. I'm always trying to make sure we stay, like, keep the nuance in there. I'm not opposed to uh, us really trying to keep our our spaces. um, I also, I'm I'm, I'm not saying you are either. I'm not interested in being the pastor of a mobile church. That sounds um, logistically a nightmare. Yeah, it's a lot. But um, I'm again, for those other people doing it. It's, it's a, yeah. <laughs> but it's a nuance of like, this is an incredible um, gift and ministry tool that you have. 100%. How are you using it? Right. That's I agree. The, that's the key piece. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, and, and I think that's important um, when we're thinking about um, being followers of Jesus, being, you know, I'm, I'm using this word, these words in, intentional, intentionally, because that's where we are at, right? So what does it look like for us to, to hold space, to use that space for, for a multitude of reasons and, and for ministry, and to see ourselves outside of it, to see ourselves among people and with people. And, you know, I don't think Jesus was like, if I won't heal you, if you don't come and follow me, like he just went and did the things. And those who, who, you know, felt compelled to do so followed and other people were like, well, that was really nice. And they stayed in their homes. And so, (laughs) and I think that that's the other part of it that maybe we could consider um, when we're thinking about ministry, that it's not always about the, the amount of people that we can get to come along but it is about the beautiful work that happens um when jesus shows up and so yeah yeah that's that's a key piece and again it's that shifting that missional focus right it's not it's not about butts in the seats though i do understand um that that is can be a helpful piece to do ministry as um you know that typically relates to finances um, money that's necessary to, to do things. So there is that piece, but also um, it's about the work. Um, I, I took a training through the ELCA a couple of years ago. Um, wasn't great to totally recommend it, but I did learn a couple of things. One of which um, that was framed really well for me um, was when you talk about being an invitational church, 
what are we inviting people into? Are you inviting people to just come sit quietly for an hour every Sunday and listen to someone else talk? Or are you inviting someone to join a protest? Are you inviting someone to come and show up with you and your pastor um, at an activism for, say, Black Lives Matter? What are you inviting people to do? Are you inviting someone to come and help serve food for those um, that do not have sustenance sustained? Like, what are you inviting people into? And that makes all the difference in the world as to how you are building church. Very true. Yeah. I'm going to think about that a little longer. (laughs) Um, Because I also think there is something to the invitation for people to come and just be for even just for a few, for a little bit. And I'm not, I don't mean like sit in a pew and be quiet, but I do mean there is something quite powerful and beautiful about collective worship and when it's done in a in a matter of people coming um to to uplift one another and to, well, to con- I, that's you know. even a different way if you're inviting someone to right. be a part of a community authentically right. like by inviting someone as who they are to be a part of something i think that yeah. is still even different agreed agree with you yeah i just i think all of that matters right Mm -hmm. and so this invitation from jesus first to um to the fishermen and then to the people who who see and um see him and connect with this thing he's doing is one that going back to what i was saying earlier is one that really resonates with the people and who they are and i think that that is so important (laughs) um and understanding not only our relationship to one another, but our relationship with God and what God sees and does with and for us. And I think Jesus invites them into both, right? He invites mm-hmm. them again, going to the place where the, the people are known um, and he's inviting them into community. Right. Um, you know, we, again, we talk about all of mm-hmm. these people that are joining this community. It's not just 12 guys, right? Like right. It's everyone that's now being a part of this. Right. And this, everyone that's now being a part of this is also invited to help Jesus do this ministry of, of doing the healing and doing the feeding. Right. So right. It's, it's both. Yeah, it's not just an experience. It's also a you become a part of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I love that. Mm-hmm. And you know, as we uh, you know try to model church off of what Jesus does, um, you know, it seems like a good place to start. I mean, also good luck with that. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not easy. That's a. It's not a. Yeah, I walked right into it. It's fine. It's perfect. All right. Well, Pastor Tamika, thank you so much for this great conversation. Um, I look forward to hearing what your sermon's going to be like in a, in a couple of weeks. So thank you. Good. Me um, too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for this opportunity to join you. I'm really yeah, grateful. Thank yeah. you, everyone. Thanks so much for for those that have listened. Um, you know, we we continue to appreciate um, your support. Um, and please. Uh, share this podcast with friends and family and those that you think could really just use a little bit of uh, God talk and, um, you know, journey with us as we discover and discern and explore our scriptures. You can learn more at 10footpolepodcast.com and find us on Facebook and Instagram at 10footpolepodcast. And of course, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. The 10 Foot Pole Podcast is a ministry of the Delaware, Maryland Synod. To learn more, go to demdsynod.org. Take care, everyone. Bye.